Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, find it on page 1375 if you wish to follow along in your pew Bible. Hebrews 4, and we'll read just 14 through 16. That'll be the words of our text. This morning we a sermon on Hebrews 4, 1 through 13, basically. And we'll tie this in also with Lord's Day 5 and 6 of the Heidelberg Catechism. As we bring this together, hopefully it will become clear to all. Let us hear God's Word, Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As far as the reading of God's holy and, and infallible precious word, let us also uh, hear what our confessions say about um, the mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, really, as we find here in Hebrews 1, the one who gives us that boldness to come to the throne of God's grace. <clears throat> Lord's Day 5, question 12. Since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal and eternal punishment. Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor? Answer, God will have his justice satisfied. And therefore, we must make this full satisfaction either by ourselves or by another. Question 13. Can we ourselves then make this satisfaction? Answer, by no means. But on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. Question 14. Can there be found anywhere one who is mere creature, able to satisfy for us? Answer, none. For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man has committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as deliver others from it. <clears throat> Question 15. What sort of mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? Answer. For one who is very man and perfectly righteous <clears throat> and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is very God. Question 16. Why must he be very man and also perfectly righteous? Answer. Because the justice of God requires that the same human nature which has sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin, and one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Question 17. Why must he in one person be also very God? Answer. That he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature, the burden of God's wrath, and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. Question 18. 
Who then is that mediator? Who is one person, both very God and very righteous man? Answer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Question 19. Whence knowest thou this? How do you know this? Answer, from the Holy Gospel, which God himself first revealed in paradise and afterward published by the patriarchs and prophets and represented by the sacrifices and ceremonies of the law and lastly has fulfilled it by his only begotten Son. As far confession in the Heidelberg Catechism dealing with the only mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the Heidelberg Catechism, we've looked at what we call the school of misery and understanding our sinfulness and our separateness from God. And here in Lord's Day 5 and 6 and what follows, we are looking toward how God delivers his people from their sins. So you can see what we're moving from what we would call guilt to grace. And in this quest to find the grace of God, we need to find a suitable mediator for all of our failures. We saw in the School of Misery that our report card says failure in and of ourselves. And yet, what we recognize is, we've already seen hints of it, that there is a mediator. And as we go on this quest, as it were, to find a mediator, the search for a mediator, we need to find one who would fully satisfy God's justice. And we might ask ourselves, could not that be ourselves? Could we not satisfy the justice of God? Could we not bear the wrath of God against our sins? And the answer is no. We daily add and increase our debt before God. The Catechism asks us another question. Could any other creature satisfy the wrath of God against sin? And the answer there is that God would be unjust to punish an angel or an animal or some other creature other than man. And so this mediator must be God and man. We need a mediator who will be a suitable mediator. Author to Hebrews in our series of sermons as we go through Hebrews has been really getting at the same thing. It's been setting forth before the Jewish Christians who have been impacted by Judaizers, those who want to keep to all of the old religious system of the Old Testament that was always meant to point them to Christ rather than to point them to a way that would make them right with God. And so the author to Hebrews has been searching and concluding that angels cannot satisfy God. Even though they were mediators, mediating the law through Moses to the people, angels are not suitable mediators. Jesus is superior to them. He also looks at Moses, who was a mediator between God and the Israelites, leading them through the wilderness and bringing them to the promised land, to the borders of it. 
But also, we find that Moses, too, was not a suitable mediator. And Israel continued to fail under the mediatorial work of Moses. We find that Joshua, who did bring them into the promised land, is also not a suitable mediator because he also must die. And he didn't prepare an eternal rest, a rest for the people of God, as we could hear this morning. And we find ourselves looking throughout the book of Hebrews and we find that there are kings and priests and sacrifices, all of the old religious order of the Jews, that all fall short of granting that assurance that we all need to come boldly to the throne of grace, as we find in our text today. And it's all building to this aha moment, just like we find in, in, in here in our catechism. Misery. There's nothing, nothing that can satisfy God's justice. Aha! But there is a way. There is a way for a mediator to reconcile God and man. To bring God and man together. There is a way. But he must be perfectly God. And he must be perfectly man. Let's hear the words of our text again, with this in with, with this in our con, with this in our mind. Our text words begin with seeing them, seeing everything we've seen about who the Lord Jesus Christ is, superior to angels, to to Moses, to Joshua, to kings and priests and sacrifices. Seeing them, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. His divinity. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is a mediator. Verse 14 points out that he is the Son of God. Verse 15 points out that he is human and sympathizes with our weaknesses and was tempted yet without sin. He's a perfect human. And therefore, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Otherwise, we could not come to the throne of God's grace. There would be no throne of grace. But now, through him, we can come to his throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This afternoon, we want to limit ourselves to the fact that our mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ, is a divine mediator. A divine mediator. We'll see how that will give us encouragement, also in comfort, as we come boldly to the throne of God's grace. A divine mediator. That's our, our text, our theme will be a quest for this suitable mediator. And we're going to see him as a divine mediator this afternoon with two thoughts. It needs to be a divine mediator to keep God's eternal covenant. And secondly, to be God's perfect office bearer. A divine mediator in order to keep God's eternal covenant. 
Why do I call it an eternal covenant? You might think the first covenant that God made with man, and children, you know what a covenant is? The covenant is an agreement between two parties. It's agreement with conditions. If you do something, then you will be rewarded. And God made, came and made a covenant with Adam in paradise. And that might be the first covenant that we think of. God came and made a covenant with Adam and said, If you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. If you eat of the tree of life, you will live forever. It's called the covenant of works. But we need to back up a step. We need to back up into eternity past. Before God even created the worlds. Because there... There's an eternal covenant that has been made within the Godhead himself. Between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And in et- and, and now I'm, I'm, I'm above my, what I really can comprehend here, so bear with me. Back in eternity, God foreknew all of what time and ordained all of what time would hold. And he makes a covenant. The father makes a covenant with the son. The son is to receive his people whom he's going to purchase from their sins. The father says, here's your people. If if you keep the conditions of the covenant and you as God take upon yourself human nature, bearing the wrath of God and earning righteousness for your people. That's an agreement in eternity. The Father makes with the Son. And the Son agrees to it. And the Holy Spirit makes another agreement. He says, if you do this, I will apply that salvation unto all of your people. So when Adam sinned in paradise, God wasn't wringing his hands wondering what he's going to do. God had a plan. He had a plan. And even though this agreement, so to say, isn't necessarily written out in Scripture as clearly as maybe what I tried to say it, from all of Scripture, especially John 17, we find that Jesus Christ indeed had that agreement with his Father. As he prays, glorify now me with the glory that I had from the foundations of the world. And as a matter of fact, Revelation 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ was slain from the foundations of the world. In eternity past, it was so secure that Christ would be the mediator of his people that it was agreed on between God. And God cannot break a covenant within himself. Never. He would cease to be God. And so there in eternity, the plot was established. Christ would come to redeem his people. The bargain was struck, as it were. And no wonder God could say, Even in summary to Job, where were you when the plot of redemption was laid and the platform was drawn and the book of life was penned and the names 
of those who were redeemed were written in it. Where were you? You see, if Jesus wasn't with the Father in eternity, as one who is divine, eternally, with the Father, it wouldn't be much of a comfort for Him to be our mediator, would it? If you've done something and made an agreement with someone, and that someone broke that agreement, and you wanted to bring reconciliation, and you hired a mediator, you would want that person who you made the agreement with, you would want them to be there. So all the words that you have made and agreed to could be established You would know exactly what was agreed to. You would know exactly what the plan was. Well, Jesus Christ, our mediator, was in eternity with God. And he was able to make this covenant. And has proven from his very names, as we find in Isaiah 9, he's called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. For him to make such a covenant, he must be eternal, and the covenant must be eternal. And he must be able to keep the conditions of that covenant. He has to keep the conditions of that covenant. And that condition, the conditions of the covenant of life, the eternal covenant of life, is, is that we need to be righteous. There needs to be perfect obedience to the will of God. Not one sin. Because one sin is going to bring upon us the just justice of God and the just wrath of God. And since sin has come into this world, because God now has come, as we all know, as I mentioned before, to Adam in a covenant of works. If you obey, you eat of the tree of life, you will live forever. If you disobey and eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will perish forever. And in this covenant of works, that's now broken. It's not done away with, but it's broken. God comes in His covenant of grace. A covenant of grace. Because back in that plan of redemption, as God makes these plans and this plot for time, in way of covenant of works and now covenant of grace, He is showing that the Lord Jesus Christ, as a divine mediator in this covenant, would be able to merit the righteousness of all His people, and bear the wrath of God against sin. That's why our catechism in Lord's Day 6, verse 17, it asks the question, why does he have to be perfectly or very God? And the answer is this, that he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain his human nature and burden of God's wrath, and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life, life which we have lost in paradise.
Do you think anyone else could keep these conditions? Can man keep these conditions? We've shown again and again we're failures. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 3 pointed out Israel's failures. They were the most blessed of God, as it were, in the Old Testament. Failing time and time and time again. Would the priest be able to keep these obligations and these conditions to the covenant? They also failed. You look at the Old Testament. You look at, you look at the kings and the prophets. They all failed. We could ask ourselves today, can our parents keep this covenant for us? The reality is this. After the fall, in the broken covenant of works, there's only one who is divine who could keep these conditions. And since He is divine, since He is the Son of God, this high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, we can come boldly through His throne of grace because He did keep the conditions of the covenant. Perfectly. But He also needs to be divine to apply those blessings of the covenant by His Holy Spirit so that we can come boldly to His throne of grace. Think about Adam and Eve here in the Garden of Eden. I've just broken the covenant of works. There they were trying to sow fig leaves around themselves. And God calls them out. He brings them out. He calls them by His grace. He reveals to them His covenant of grace. Saying, I'm going to give you a seed. And the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And I will redeem my people through the seed of the woman. He comes to Noah. You know what Noah's name means? It means rest. He promises rest. God promises never to punish the world with a flood again. He comes to Abraham. I'm going to give you a land, a land of rest. For all of your people. He comes to Moses when Moses is leading Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. And he comes on Mount Sinai and he says, You want to be happy? You want to have a good life? You want to have a life that's blessed? Here's my law. Here's how you can be blessed and have rest in the promised land. He comes to David. David has just fought a lot of wars. And David wants to now build a house to the Lord in Jerusalem. And he says to David, no, you won't build the house. But your son will build the house. And upon his throne, he will sit upon his throne forever and ever. And he will give rest. He comes in the way of the new covenant, showing that God is going to write upon our hearts the law of God to show us his rest that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ through faith and repentance. He comes to us today and says the conditions of the covenant are simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's where the rubber meets the road as we heard this morning. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Turn from sin and believe in this mediator 
the Lord Jesus Christ. But how shall we believe? We're such failures as we've heard again and again for for a few weeks. How shall our hard hearts be broken? Well, Hebrews chapter 12. This mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ, who's passed into the heavens, is the one who is the author, the one who in eternity past authored this very covenant, this very promise. And now he is also the finisher of our faith. He's the one who perfects our faith. He's one who we can rely on. And even in the activity of our faith, he gives us himself to rely on. He doesn't say, oh, here's a creature who you can trust in. Here's a man who you can trust in. Here's a king who you can trust in. Here's a good prophet you can trust in. No. He gives us his son who's passed into the heavens. He gives him unto us that we may trust in him. You see, when you come to the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New, as Elizabeth and Mary and and Zacharias and Simeon and Anna, they, 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 they hear of this mediator that's coming, that's now been born, that's in their hands. And they're filled with joy. As John the Baptist sees the Lord Jesus Christ coming to him, he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Because he knows this is the mediator. He's the one who can bring God and man back together. As the disciples, the disciples see his power. They're filled with awe as the storms are calmed. They say, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, we don't come to a mere man when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We come to the Son of God. And that gives us boldness to come to his throne of grace. So he says to those who come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. And when Jesus says that, he cannot lie. Because he would break covenant. He's the author, the perfecter of our faith, the Son of God who's passed into the heavens as our high priest. I want to look at that word high priest in the context of Jesus being a mediator. And our second point. The divine mediator here needs is God's perfect office bearer. Sometimes we think of the offices of the Lord Jesus Christ. We think of prophet, priest, and king. But really, the offices of Christ are just manifestations of his one office. And that office is that he is a mediator. That's his work. His work is to bring God to man and man to God so that they can be one again. 
He mediates between them so that they can be made one. And as he does so in this office, yes, he does show himself as a prophet and priest and king, but it's one office. And in all three, he's doing so. And so we can't really separate them. But what we do see in the, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is showing that already to us that, that Jesus is far superior than any earthly king. He's sitting on his throne and all of his enemies are being made his footstool. He's the prophet and he's a high priest. And what we recognize first and foremost here in our passage is that Jesus as our high priest and mediator has ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of God. And how has he done so? How could he come into the presence of God without being God? Or without being perfect? Or without being suitable to be with God? He was God. Forever will be God. And as our high priest, he came into heaven with a perfect sacrifice. A sacrifice that was accepted by, accepted by God. A sacrifice that was perfect. So that he could now sit at the right hand of God and show his Father in heaven that indeed the sacrifice he has made for sinners has now been accepted by his Father. And so as we come boldly to God's throne of grace for mercy, the Lord Jesus Christ hears our prayer, our confession of sins, our repentance. He sees our repentance and he intercedes for us at the right hand of God, praying to his Father, Father, forgive them because of what I have done. Look at the nails in my prints in my hand. Look at my hole in my side. Look at the nail prints in my feet. Father in heaven, I have died for sinners such as this. And look what I have done for them. I have earned their righteousness that they might be with us, to be one with us in glory forever. And he intercedes for us. He makes prayer for us. With his own blood. The blood of the everlasting covenant. As our high priest. That's how we can come boldly to his throne of grace for mercy, even today. Who else will bring you that close to God? Will your pastor bring you that close to God? I'm a failure. I've sinned. There's no way I can go before God except through the Lord Jesus Christ as a mediator. Can your parents bring you to God? They've also sinned and come short of the glory of God. Can anyone else bring you before God? There is one. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who's passed into the heavens as our high priest. And he sits enthroned in glory as our king. 
I think of Isaiah 52 here, where Isaiah, in this prophecy of the servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ as mediator, he says, kings will shut their mouths at him. He's the king of kings. There's no other king that compares to King Jesus. He is actually the king of kings. What kings do is they open their mouths. They make decrees. They they set laws. They establish laws in the land. They govern by the words of their mouth. But this king, he governs the kings of this earth by the words of his mouth. And yet, and yet, he is a king who is meek and lowly. A servant-like king. A king who comes before his disciples and washes their feet. A king that's come to serve and to exemplify how he would have us to live. He's a king like no other. A king as meek as a lamb and yet as powerful as all of the kings of this earth combined. And even more. He comes as that perfect prophet in that mediatorial work. We saw that this morning. Seeing the word of God. That word of God is really the prophetic word of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word that comes in like like a scalpel. Of a, in a hand of a, a proficient surgeon who knows just how far to cut, who knows just where to cut, who can separate joints and the, the marrow of the bone. One who can come to discern the very thoughts and intentions of man's heart. He comes as that perfect prophet. One who we can trust in. There's all kinds of prophets in this world. First John says, test them to know whether they say the truth or whether they be false prophets. There's lots of prophets. But there's one true prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, who comes and who speaks truth and applies that truth as a were with a sword so precisely. It discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He comes with the word of his power. The power of God unto salvation. And he will be prosperous. And what's his goal? His goal is to bring God and man together in one. To make a perfect Israel Chapter 3, we saw a faithless Israel perishing in the wilderness. But God's goal is to make a perfect Israel. To have his people enter into his rest. To be with him forever. To be perfect in one. To purchase a perfect bride. And to make her perfect in glory. And in the process, he not only administers his mercy as our high priest in heaven, 
but it ministers to us grace and help in times of need. He's with us. He's with us as our mediator. He's with us as God by His Spirit. That's why we can come boldly to His throne of grace for mercy, for grace, for help in time of need. It's because He, he as God, has the power and the authority and has accomplished everything we need through His finished work. And when we come to Him, no, He won't cast us out, but He will take us in all of our struggles as we labor in our heavy laden, and He will give us rest. He will give us help and strength. When we don't know how to live to His glory, and we feel ourselves to be so faithless as the Israelites were, He shows us how to live He forgives us of all of our sins. He gives us a hatred for sin. He gives us a desire to live to Christ. He gives us a desire to have the mind of Christ. He gives us a desire to walk in holiness before Him. He gives us help in our times of need. When we don't know where to turn any longer, and we're raising children, we're instructing children, we're going about our callings in life, and we don't know where to turn. When we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're not turning to another mere man. We're not turning to another so-called prophet of the day or a king of this earth or a priest who tries to make intercession for us. We turn to the Son of the living God who has been given all power both in heaven and upon earth. And we can turn to Him in our time of need. To whom else will you go? Is there anyone else? Will we not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ? as our only mediator who is divine and who, as we see, will see next week, is also human. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for the richness of your gospel because indeed your gospel message comes with power and authority because it comes from the word, through the Word of God. It comes from your own voice. It comes from your own eternal plan, which you have planned in eternity that your people would be one in you, perfectly reconciled, perfectly united. And Lord, even though we don't see all of these things yet. We see Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despised the shame, and now is set at the right hand of God. Who has passed into the heavens as our high priest. Oh Lord, we stand amazed at such good news for sinners such as us. May each one of us have this aha moment that we see the suitability of the work of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.